Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Sandy Young and Albert Ho. Sandy Young and Albert Ho are a married couple from Toronto. They are the property power couple that focus on renting out condos to tenants. Together, they have two condo units in Toronto that they have rented out and another unit in Kitchener completing construction in spring 2021. They are both authors and keynote speakers. Sandy's newly published book is called The Money Master, Inside Secrets on How to Make Your Money Grow and Stay Safe, which focuses on helping millennials create wealth through investing. Sandy combines her passion for public speaking with personal finance to host workshops and speak at conferences. Albert's book is called Checkmate, How to Win the Sales Game in Healthcare, which focuses on healthcare sales. His book will be published in the new year of 2020. Albert helps healthcare sales professionals generate $1 million within the first year. In my interview with Sandy and Albert, we discuss what is a good way for first-time real estate investors to find their first property, how do you find a good real estate agent, and the pros and cons of property managers. Without further ado, here's my interview with Sandy Young and Albert Ho. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Albert. How are you both doing today? We're doing, we're doing great. We're doing excellent. How Sean. are you, Sean? I'm doing great as well. It's uh, wonderful to have a wife and husband couple on the show. I haven't had a oh. married couple on the show as of yet, so I've, I've definitely wanted to uh, interview uh, wife and husband because uh, buying real estate is is a decision that couples make together. So it's wonderful to chat with both of you today. Super excited. Why don't you start by telling the audience how many real estate properties do you both own? Yeah, so Albert and I, we currently have we have a condo unit in the close to the distillery area, and it's a one bedroom plus den, and the distillery area is close to the downtown area. We also have a one bedroom plus den in the Bayview Village area, which is in the north end of the city. And then we also have a pre-construction condo, which is located in downtown Kitchener, where that will be a two-bedroom condo unit. Mm-hmm. And then my parents have also been doing some real estate investing. So they've got roughly four units, uh, some residential and two commercial units. Wow. So it definitely sounds like real estate is in your blood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. So as landlords, what type of problems or challenges did you come across when renting out your condo units to tenants? I've heard that real estate uh, and from firsthand experience, I know it's not a passive investment like a stock or ETF. You might have to kind of roll up your sleeves and do some actual work. So why don't you tell us about your experience? Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll share one of my favorite stories. It's uh, probably a uh, real estate investor's worst nightmare. I still remember it was a, a Sunday morning getting woken up by a phone call at 8 a.m., and it was actually the tenants calling me in a panic saying there was a leak. 
and they actually sent me a video and there was actually water coming out of the ceiling as if the faucet was still turned on. And so you can imagine I'm rushing and putting on my clothes and, and heading all the way downtown. And uh, it was actually some, from someone above that had left their, uh, the bathtub uh, running, I guess, overnight. So there was quite a, a bit of damage and the, even the building had to get involved to you know, make a, an insurance claim. And by the time I arrived there, within I think three or four hours, they had actually had the blowers already set up to try and dry it out. So it took quite a few weeks. Uh, luckily within my unit, it wasn't too extensive, but some other units definitely had uh, a bit more water damage. Oh my goodness, that's like a landlord's worst nightmare. I, thankfully that's never happened to me, but my gosh, that, that wasn't even your tenant's fault or anything like that. I guess there's this no. stuff outside of your control that you can't control and you just have to deal with it as a landlord. Yeah. And, and definitely that's one of the things that in terms of tenant insurance, like making sure that they do have that insurance so that they, if they do have uh, any loss with their own personal belongings within the unit, that they can make a claim uh, to their insurance company. But and in addition, the owner which should also have owner's insurance to cover sort of the, the walls and the structure of the, uh, the unit itself. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that story. And, and Sandy, is there a story that you wanted to share? I do. So one of the other crazy stories that we experienced is that when our condo unit was vacant and we were searching for the next tenant, uh, this was during the middle of the summer and it happened to be a scorching hot day and we had lined up back-to-back -back, uh, showings for potential tenants. And we had two of them with us in the elevator going up to our unit. There were about eight people crammed into the elevator. And then the elevators started creaking and going up and down. And then all of a sudden it just stopped. Then what happened was we were stuck in the elevator for probably 45 minutes trying to get a hold of the front desk security, um, trying to communicate with them and we ended up having to call 911 because it was so hot, uh, barely any air circulation, and some people were feeling faint. Then uh, shortly after that, the firefighters came and they were able to open up the elevator doors to let us out. But after that had happened, the property management tried to hand the bill to us for calling 911. Not only that, the two potential tenants who were planning to look at our unit because of that bad experience of being trapped in an elevator, they didn't put in an offer and I don't blame them. Uh, but luckily we were able to find a tenant who didn't get stuck in the elevator with us and they've been happy um, living in our condo unit. So it's you never know how like these things will unfold, but it's just sometimes it's just out of your control and you just have to go with it. Wow. What, what a story. And yeah, like you said, there are sometimes things outside of your control. I mean, when I was showing my property about five years ago, they were doing construction on the main street to get into my neighborhood and a, like a, a pair of prospective tenants took the transit in and because of all the construction, it just took them so long to get to my property. So they had pretty much already made up their mind that they didn't want to live at my place because of the construction that they were doing on the street. And that was in no way my fault. So yeah, sometimes there are things that you just can't control. Perhaps I should have told, the, advised them of a better route to come in and to avoid the construction, but sometimes you just can't control stuff like that.
Mm-hmm. Another one was actually involving one of our commercial units, and um, it was some sort of a social type of a club, but some of the customers uh, smoked there, and unfortunately, there was not uh, any smoking allowed in the, uh, the unit. So that you can you can imagine from a landlord's perspective, well, we can't really control what the what the customers do, but that was just a part of that uh, particular business, the culture they you know they smoke there. So the some of the adjacent units started calling the city bylaw smoking officers, and they started showing up, and they would uh, you know actually literally say, well, we found uh, cigarette ashes and cigarette butts. And they started fining us. So as the, uh, the owner of the property, we're ultimately responsible for ensuring that a tenant uh, follows those rules. So the first fine was $300. And then they actually get subsequently higher on the second and third offense. So we actually had to uh, quickly get some uh, high quality air purifiers. They're about $500 each. And we actually installed them within the unit to try and filter that, uh, that smoke air so that it didn't uh, uh, permeate uh, into the adjoining units. Luckily, I think within probably six months, that, that uh, tenant ended up moving out of that unit. But you can imagine, yeah, you know, it's just not nice having to be taken to court by the city you know, for, for uh, violating those uh, smoking bylaws. So that's definitely a, a lesson for um, more so for commercial units to be monitoring the activities that uh, those tenants uh, undertake. Yeah, that's de- definitely a great lesson. And as well as just like if you have a rental property on your own, you can write that you don't like in, in the ad and you can mention to the tenants that you don't want somebody who smokes. But uh, at the end of the day, they could say that they don't smoke, but then they could smoke mm-hmm. inside the unit. So it's definitely a good idea to, especially if you don't live on the, on the premises that you're renting out, uh, if it's a standalone rental property, it's a good idea to at least stop by the property and make sure that, uh, you know, it doesn't smell like smoke or other stuff that isn't supposed to be happening is, is happening on the property. Like you want to make sure somebody's not like doing a grow up or something mm-hmm, along those mm-hmm. lines there. So <laughs> definitely a good idea to check in on the property uh, every once in a while. I, I, I don't know how often you check in on the property, but I would say checking in at least a, a couple times a year at a minimum, just to make sure uh, everything is, is good and nothing is happening that shouldn't be happening. Yeah, I would say every six months to a year is sort of a good uh, uh, pace because uh, once a year, almost always, you're going to have to at least uh, go to collect the rent checks. Uh, but even within six months, there's lots of things that are always happening, even between seasons, right? Like different uh, things are uh, changing. Even the security guard sometimes changes. So it's always good to show face so that you know who is actually going to be there on a day-to-day basis. And even the property managers, sometimes they go on mat leave or sometimes they get moved around, even if it's the same property management company. But it's good to because they're sort of the eyes and ears of the uh, to to help manage the property. Great. Well, thanks so much for sharing your stories there, and hopefully we haven't scared too many people <laughs> off from real estate investing. But uh, that actually leads perfectly into the next question: What is a good way for first-time real estate investors to find their first property? Yeah. So I think we have a couple of tips with that. Um, you know, if you're first starting off, you may not have that much capital to invest in. So it's it doesn't hurt to start small um, in terms of having a condo. You can look for a one bedroom or one bedroom plus den. Um, I mean, if you do have the flexibility to get more bedrooms, then it definitely gives you more options in terms of what t- types of tenants you can have, because the more bedrooms you have, you could potentially have, say, several students sharing uh, the the unit or you can have maybe two colleagues sharing the unit or friends or family, things like that. 
Um, but when you start small, at least you kind of can get your foot in the door and have smaller expenses and a smaller mortgage. And then from there, like once you get more experience and you're able to uh, pay down your mortgage, you can always look into having a second property and, and do some refinancing there and to grow your portfolio over time. Based on my experience with the the downtown Kitchener pre-construction condo, you know, for us, like in the Toronto market, we all know that the prices are that they keep going up and up. And for some people, it might not be a realistic purchase. So we kind of looked outside of the GTA area and we we worked closely with our real estate agent, uh, Gloria Young, and she had recommended downtown Kitchener because one, there's a lot of growth potential. It is deemed as the Silicon Valley of the North, where there's many startup companies such as Google and Communitech. It's also close to the Waterloo area, but for us in downtown Kitchener, we are targeting more of the working professionals there uh, because there's a big uh, courthouse across the street, uh, as well as many big corporations are there. So we figured that it's a safe investment property that we can hold on for the long term. It's not just something that once it's up uh, and running that we'll sell it. We just definitely want to make sure that it grows in value over time and we have that ongoing rental income. Mm-hmm. And I would even add uh, that, I mean, we are, we are talking about pre-constructions, but if you're a first-time real estate investor, I, I actually recommend that you actually get a unit that's already constructed because with pre-construction, there is typically several years of uh, construction time and sometimes there are delays. And for the for a first-time investor, they may not be able to sort of shoulder uh, the ups and downs and roller coasters uh, of a pre-construction because you can imagine you're literally buying off of like blueprints and photos, right? Whereas if the, the condo is already made, you can actually walk into the condo and see uh, the unit as well as the surrounding area, then you can actually understand what you're actually buying. Great. So I've n- I don't have any experience with this my- myself, but I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this. What's your opinion of property managers? Now, if I was going to purchase a standalone rental property in an mm-hmm. area that was far away that I couldn't easily visit, I would certainly use a property manager myself. But be mm-hmm. interested to hear your perspective on property managers. Yeah, so um, even though we like we live in the Bayview Village area, and one of my properties is down near the Distillery District, it would you know take on average let's say one hour sometimes for me to commute down there, and sometimes it's a, such a small issue. So you can imagine the time, right? One hour to go down there, one hour to come back up, and so I was like looking into a property management company. So most of these property management companies, so well, and just to make a differentiation, there is already a a building property management company right? With a a property manager. But for me, I actually wanted to hire someone specifically just to take care of uh, the tenants in my one unit. And typically these uh, property management companies will ask for a percentage of your uh, uh, rental income. So mine was about 7%. I've heard them ranging between 7 to 10%. And that sort of includes all of the uh, coordination of uh, tradespeople, uh, any repairs you still pay for, but they are sort of that first uh, line uh, or first contact. And my experience wasn't that positive. I mean, I had signed a one-year contract with them, so I, I thought, great, you know, I don't have to worry about uh, going down there to the property. But then I started to realize that uh, this property manager had well over 100 uh, rental properties that they had to take care of. So you can imagine the response time wasn't exactly as quickly when if I was uh, responding directly to the tenants. And 
one uh, glaring example of uh, something that that really kind of broke the the camel is like, you know, for example, a you know what a stove burner is, right? The, the yes. one little element on top of a stove. One of them actually wasn't working uh, right when the tenants moved in, and it took I think well over ten months for the property manager to actually find a replacement. Like they said that it was was an old stove, so they couldn't find the exact part, but. It's just almost, it's unacceptable for the tenant to be waiting that long for such a small uh, repair. Did they, uh, the property manager end up taking care of that in the end? And if you had have taken care of it yourself, how long do you think it would have taken you to find the replacement part? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I had done it myself, probably within a month, right? I mean, you can search online or you can go to any one of like the Home Depots or Oronos to, to find that piece. Uh, but that, you know, there was, a, you know, a few other repairs, uh, not just that piece. So, you know, there might be lots of four or five things that that property manager had to work on. But then for, from, you can see from the tenant's point of view, it's, it's just unacceptable to be waiting that long to replace something so small. So then after that one year, I ended up uh, sort of ending that contract. And then I just uh, started to manage the, uh, that relationship with that tenant uh, directly. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that story. And that I guess that's my kind of concern with property managers myself. I mean, it depends on the property manager that you hire, but they just don't like at the end of the day, you're the property owner. And for example, if the tenant is being delinquent on the rent, uh, like I've heard a story from friend of mine where the property manager just said, sorry, I couldn't get the rent from the tenant. But um, when the landlord kind of took it into his own hands, he was able to get the rent money. So I just don't find that the property managers are as motivated as as you to make sure that the property is a success. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Yeah, I think it just really comes down to shopping around for uh, a property management company or property manager and maybe to ask for references, to, to get them to share about what kind of experience they have um, and just to be able to really do the due diligence and, and make sure that you have a good feel for it. But of course, I guess you never really know until you, you have that contractual agreement with them. So, I mean, maybe for other people, it's been very successful. Um, but yeah, I guess for us, it uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> for the first time, it, it wasn't so great, especially when they're taking a cut from our monthly, um, um, monthly rental income too, right? So we definitely didn't really feel like there was that much value coming in, but hey, it doesn't mean that we won't do it again in the future, especially from the one in uh, Kitchener where it's going to take about an hour and a half to drive out there. So definitely more of an incentive to have a, a property manager out there. Great. So speaking of professionals when investing in real estate, another professional that is important and can help you be successful, of course, is a real estate agent. So do you have any advice on hiring a good real estate agent finding one as well? Yeah. So in Toronto, um, I mean, there's tens of thousands of real estate agents, right? So, and there's definitely ones that are better than others. And uh, for us, uh, luckily, Albert had already um, knew a really good real estate agent, um, Gloria Young, and uh, she's with uh, Remax and she has her own brokerage. And uh, for her, like she was definitely a a go-getter and knew so much about the market and what exactly we were looking for and was able to really listen to what our needs were, what our wants were, uh, and just to be able to provide the advice on how we could decorate um, my family's house to 
make it look presentable and to be able to sell it in a short amount of time. And with my experience with her, like we had built a lot of trust and we had open communication. So that was really strong from the get go. And she also shared some of the comparables within the neighborhood of recent properties that were sold. And so that we could see what, what the fair market value was and what was trending. So we had all of that knowledge um, uh, armed with us. And she was able to help negotiate the best price for us because at the time when we were selling my family's home, we wanted, you know, top dollar. <laughs> and so that was about maybe um, a year and a half ago. And she helped us sell my family's home. It was in the uh, Little India area um, in the east end of Toronto. And she was able to help sell my family's house within two days. And it was sold uh, $130,000 over asking. Mm -hmm. So definitely goes to show if you have the right real estate agent, they can really add a lot of value. And I would even say that, you know, selecting a, a realtor that you trust is actually a big decision. So, you know, I'm sure everyone has tons of friends that are realtors, but I would say that you should choose one that really you understand and trust and has that experience uh, because you can always go with a friend, but uh, at the end of the day, it is a business transaction. So you, you need to kind of separate sometimes that personal friendship uh, because the realtor is there to work on your behalf and to go negotiate. And, and Gloria is one of those, she would negotiate very hard. I still remember um, the, one of our neighbors actually was a bit of a hoarder and uh, you can imagine when we're showing the home, we needed to look, have the, uh, the adjoining house to look presentable. And she actually took the effort to take him out to dim sum. And we still remember, remember that like going the extra effort to say, Hey, you know, uh, we really need you to do your part and, and, uh, make the, the property presentable. And yeah, so just all of that extra handholding, uh, I had just never seen that before from a realtor. So uh, I'll, I'll always share that story. Uh, imagine that. Yeah. My, my realtor actually taking my neighbor out to dim sum and he was like 70 years old and just a stubborn, kind of a guy that likes to do things on his own at his own pace, but you know, we got to get this ready for market within a very short time, within a few weeks. Right. So really, she really got him uh, kickstarted to, to get things going. What should real estate condo investors be aware of in terms of Kitech plumbing? I've heard that it's been a bit of an issue over the last while. Mm -hmm. That's right. So Kitech Plumbing, uh, spelled K-I-T-E-C, in the past five to 10 years, I would say, is actually becoming a very big problem. So if you're a uh, condo, uh, uh, like real estate investor, and even it even uh, appears in homes, you can actually uh, look at the piping itself. It'll actually say Kitech on it. And actually, the listings do need to just, dis uh, they, they do need to disclose this now. And because these pipes, you know, it's just think of it, the piping that, you know, goes to your showers, to your toilets, but they were actually bursting prematurely so uh, before their intended um, life uh, expectancy it might be I think 20 years uh, a pipe might last but some of them were bursting within five or ten years and there's actually been quite a few lawsuits um, so there's actually a very big class action lawsuit that's currently occurring the cost for this is roughly between three to five thousand dollars but something to definitely be aware of because if you have that within your property you will likely need to change it and so for most condo corporations they're actually mandating the 
all uh, owners uh, change it. So you can either opt into that bulk sort of replacement or you can do it on your own, but you can imagine, you know, trying to find a, a plumber to schedule all that and they do need to cut into the walls. It, it, it takes quite a bit of effort. So something to definitely look out for on listings and you'll actually see it. Uh, presence of Kitech plumbing or Kitech plumbing has just been replaced uh, so, so that you're aware of it. Yeah, and just to add to that, for those who uh, are listening, it's probably impacting the condos and some houses or townhouses that were built in the late 1990s and early 2000s. And it's also impacting all of Canada and the United States. So even in Toronto, I'm sure there's hundreds of condos alone. And there has been a huge cost of action lawsuit where there's $125 million to be given back to unit owners who have been impacted. However, even though it sounds like a huge amount, which it is, uh, we've been told that $25 million has already gone back to the lawyers who have been part of this settlement. So really there's only a hundred million dollars, but for all of the properties in North America, which is huge. So there really isn't that much to be given back. And they're really placing priority on landlords who have already had a flood. And so for us, we're very fortunate that we haven't experienced a flood. Uh, Thank goodness for that. But it also means that we're at if we were to make a claim, and I think the claim deadline is January of 2020, uh, if, we were, if we were to submit all of the legal documents, we would be at the back of the line to receive any type of um, compensation. So it's just something for the listeners to keep in mind for that. And there's also a website if you wanted to learn more about it. It's kitechsettlement.com. Great. Thanks so much for sharing that. Definitely very handy for anyone who might have that uh, kind of plumbing. Just curious, what inspired you to generate wealth through real estate? Mm -hmm. That's a very good question, Sean. It was actually my parents, you know, they uh, came to Canada in the late 70s and they, I guess, learned about real estate. And uh, I actually had to move quite a bit, I think over seven times growing up as the markets were, if they were uh, going up, then my parents would actually sell that property and then buy another property. So I've lived in all parts of Toronto. Uh, I lived in like near the airport, near Mississauga, Etobicoke, Downsview, Young and Finch. Uh, Queens Key, Bay and College. So all of that, uh, I mean, it's a combination of sort of timing in the market. Unfortunately, we had to move and it was very difficult to make friends. But along the way, uh, they did, my parents also had uh, rental units that they kept over the years. And one of the best tips is actually to buy and hold those properties, right? So uh, for, for like 10, 20, 30 years, the longer you can hold it, you actually get that appreciation as well as that uh, positive cash flow each month. And seeing and, and participating in that uh, growing up, we uh, we knew that it's something that we wanted to do. If you're interested in real estate investing, I always say start small, go with one unit. And if it goes well, then you can continue adding more to your portfolios. Great. And is there anything else that you wanted to add, Sandy? Yeah. So for me, I came from a very modest family. Uh, You know, we only had one home, but fortunately my dad was smart enough to uh, purchase it in the seventies and then pay off his mortgage in a short amount of time. So once we were able to, to sell the family home, I took that money to help to buy more rental properties, in in which case the one in Kitchener. And I think that it's also really important to attend educational events and conferences. So 
this past September, Albert and I attended the FinCon Expo in Washington, D.C., which is probably the largest money conference where money nerds and uh, the media people uh, all gather together. And um, during that conference, we got to see a a screening of this movie called Playing With Fire. Um, And it's kind of like a bit of a, a double entendre where like FIRE as in the financially independent retire early acronym and we were able to see a, a couple who kind of like keeping up with the Joneses and living a nice um, luxurious life but then worked with um, I guess a financial coach and really analyzed and reflected on their current lifestyle and whether they would be able to retire uh, at the age of 65 or even earlier. And so we saw them having to downsize and and uh, start ramping up their savings so that eventually they can become financially independent. That kind of really inspired us to do the same, to really figure out um, you know, our net worth, all of our investments, and and just have a plan of how we can grow our rental property portfolio so that we can have multiple streams of income and eventually become financially independent and do all the things that we enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And especially for your listeners, I'm sure you're probably driving. So if you're driving a, a BMW or Mercedes or some of the more expensive vehicles, the one statement that in that movie really stuck out in our mind was, I would rather be rich than look rich. And what, how that relates to the car that you're driving is, well, if you're driving in an expensive car or in a, a more economical car, it still gets you to that place, right? And if you're spending so much money on your vehicle, that is actually one of the largest expenses that will go down in value, right? You're, you're dumping so much money into the maintenance, into the gas. And that was one, the one statement that actually sort of changed the, the mindset of that particular family because once they realized that and they, re- they realized they would actually hold on to that money because of the power of compounding interest, it's actually worth much more in the future. And, and actually your savings rate. So if you're at, you know, 10%, 20% saving rate, that's great as a bare minimum, you, you have to be doing that. But once you actually get to the higher saving rates, 30%, 40%, or even 50% of your, of your net income, that's actually where you actually can accelerate your path to financial independence. And I'm happy to share that even for us, after seeing that movie, we totally started looking at our finances differently. And we've actually started to enact our own financial independence plan of being uh, FI within 10 years. So 2029 is when we plan to be financially independent. Well, that's amazing. Are you going to do some sort of celebration? I mean, I had a mortgage burning party when I paid off my mortgage, but is there some sort of celebration involving FIRE because that's what the acronym is? Yeah, I think uh, we would probably want to go back to I mean, Disney World because that's where we went on our honeymoon. And so, and we love Disney. <laughs> so we would probably do like a nice trip there just to celebrate. And, and I love that idea of burning a mortgage. So the, the day that we pay off a mortgage, I definitely want to also burn our, burn our mortgage. That, that is a very awesome idea. Great. The last topic we're going to talk about today is mortgages. And certainly you've had some experiences with mortgages over the years on your various properties. How do you find the right mortgage for you? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing about mortgages is that, you know, most of the banks would say, okay, you, you can have a monthly or a biweekly. And that's what I went with. And one of the things that I uh, didn't know about, was there was actually a difference between biweekly and rapid biweekly. And my bank is one of the big five banks. They actually didn't offer that to me. So I was on a, sort of that regular biweekly payment for several years. And then when I heard about the rapid biweekly, which actually pays down your mortgage faster, I actually had to call them and request that specifically. And once I, once I got that rapid weekly, I actually it, it drastically lessened that time to repay my mortgage. So that's something definitely to look out for if you don't have that. So look out for that rapid, rapid weekly. Great. And Sandy, is there anything that you want to share? Yeah. So for us, you know, we, when we were shopping around for our mortgage, we were presented whether we wanted to go with a fixed versus a variable mortgage. And for us, and probably for 80% of the population, we decided to go with a fixed mortgage, mainly because we wanted to have a peace of mind of like knowing the exact amount that we would have to pay every single week and really want to have that fluctuation. And right now, I think the you know mortgage rates are quite low still. And so, yeah, we decided to go with a fixed more mortgage. I think it's only three years right now. So then, you know, within three year time frame, we can always renew and reevaluate our situation. Great. Well, it's been wonderful having you both on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, for me, my I'm uh, also writing a book, and it's actually more about healthcare sales. So if you're a pharma sales rep or a medical device sales rep, my book is actually to help you get to your first million dollars in sales. My, my website is checkmybook.ca, and for all your listeners, they can actually get a free uh, downloadable version of my book. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can just search uh, CheckmateBook. For your listeners, they can find me at sandyyong.com. That's spelled S-A-N-D-Y-Y-O-N-G.com. And um, I'm also all over social media. You can find me through the Money Master book on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or even on LinkedIn at Sandy Yong. And also as a special gift to the listeners of Burn Your Mortgage, you can also go to my website and also receive a free downloadable copy of my book. Albert and I are also planning our book launch um, events coming up in the the new year of 2020. So we'll definitely be uh, posting that all over social media if any of your listeners would like to come out and attend and support. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning!